Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. Today, we have creator and producer of the blog, Julian Cress, on to talk about the new season which premiered on Sunday. Following that, we have another block veteran on the show, real estate agent David Wood, to explain the different methods of selling a home, from auctions to expressions of interest campaigns. Well, it's that time of the year. The block is back. This year, five teams will transform homes from five different decades in the Melbourne beachside suburb of Brighton. And it's safe to say this year will be like no other with the impact of the pandemic. So who better to give us the inside scoop on what to expect than the creator and the producer of the show, Julian Chris? Julian, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Alice. Now, Julian, it is a change of season this series with the show being based in one of Melbourne's most affluent and arguably beautiful suburbs. Why the move to Brighton? I think that just the name Brighton as a suburb is a name that resonates nationally and and we're obviously a national show so as soon as you say Brighton everybody knows where you are and um, I think that's probably you know one of the key reasons but also we're about trying to make dreams come true for you know these opportunistic contestants that we find every year and Brighton is a suburb which is a good one for capital gains. It's it's relatively protected, and um, and as we've discovered this year, we really need that. Mm. Now, Jules, I'm interested. This series, you've got houses from 1910 through to 1950s, one from each decade. How important is character and history for you and the team when planning each series and working through how you approach it? I think what's most important for us, Alice, is that we are able to reinvent the show every year we're always looking for something different to do you know last year we, we made over a backpackers the year before it was the Gatwick we've done hotels and motels we're always looking for something to bring to the audience that's a little bit different so for this year we're going back over old ground I suppose you could argue where we have trucked in old houses which is something that we did in the Elstonwick series which proved to be enormously successful with the audience I might add but we wanted to add something else to it another layer and so the idea of choosing houses from different decades while it made our search for those houses uh, immeasurably harder I feel like it it adds a layer which uh, I think the audience will really gravitate to and it was enormously challenging and interesting for the contestants when they discovered that they were doing houses from different decades that they had to then embrace those eras and and research them and understand them to renovate homes in the style that would appeal firstly to the judges and and then ultimately to to the buyers so the feedback so far even though we we're just about to launch the show. The feedback thus far has been um, that the audience seems really excited about it. And I think also it's sort of a conundrum that many Australian homeowners find themselves in. It's more affordable to buy an unrenovated property. And a lot of people really relish that challenge of embracing the history of a property and working out how to marry it up with with modern day expectations, I suppose, for buy it. I think it's going to sort of hit the mark in that it, it is what a lot of Australians are doing. And I think this idea also of transplanting houses we saw from Elstonwick is a really affordable way rather than buying an established home in Brighton, which it would have been a very high cost to have done that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very expensive buy-in here, but buying a, a vacant block of land and bringing in old houses from all over Melbourne did give us the opportunity of affordable Brighton. And I'm pleased to say that what we were able to create in the finished product uh, is is pretty extraordinary. So we're, we're, we're thrilled thrilled to be here with um you know with 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 these amazing homes going into what will be a very interesting marketing campaign in the midst of COVID. Mm. On that note, Jules, every year the block has been more and more challenging for the contestants, but this year there must have been an astonishing amount of stress, pressure and complex logistical issues at play for yourself and the team behind the scenes. Can you take us through what that has been like? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I mean, you'd remember, Alice, you know, when we got to the end of last year's season, I kind of had admitted that I felt like we'd gone almost too far with that series, with the challenge that we set for the contestants. We we called it the the biggest and hardest block ever, and it certainly felt like it was that. The contestants were absolutely exhausted at the end of it, and we'd made a conscious effort to try and step back from that with this series. So we were really you know, joyful at the beginning of this series going into what we thought would be a much easier show to make. And uh, then, of course, the storm clouds appeared on the horizon with the um, global pandemic, and um, suddenly we found ourselves doing the hardest block ever again. But I must say the, the efforts by the contestants to, you know, find their way through all of that and, and for all of my crew as well was um, was pretty extraordinary and 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 at the end of the day as difficult as it was we're counting our blessings that we were actually able to be ready to put the program to air so um, as hard as it was um, I'm really proud of everybody uh, for, for, for getting through what was a ridiculously challenging time and 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 very scary at times for them because of the uncertainty. It's going to become a real sort of historical reference point, isn't it? And I think um, the block will be one of the first Australian shows out of the gates that will really have the pandemic embedded in its storyline. Obviously, the series is never sewn up until the auctions, but there are obviously more unknowns this year than usual. How are you going to approach that, Jules? In the same way that we approach everything, Alice, we're just going to kind of wing it and uh, and hope for the best. I have to say that I'm an optimist and I would like to think that by the time November rolls around, things will have opened up again enough so that we can conduct our, our marketing campaign and our auction in some sense of normality. There'll obviously be some changes that we'll have to make and we're, of course, going to be very reliant on our friends at Domain so we'll be hoping for as much support as we can get from, from you and I'm sure you guys will deliver above and beyond. Julian, that's been really fascinating talking to you and I know I say this with many other people, we just can't wait for the series to roll out and see what's ahead. So thank you again, Julian. Thanks for having me, Alice. Great to talk to you as always. Homes can be sold a number of different ways and the method that's best for a seller depends on several factors, the type of property, the local market, the target buyer, as well as the seller's personal circumstances, they all influence which method will be most appropriate. 
With me to discuss the factors that play into this decision is David Wood, the Principal Director of Bell Property, Albert Park, and of course, a very familiar face for many Australians as one of the agents chosen for the block, and in fact, winning the series for his contestants an enviable three times. David, thank you for joining me. I'm excited to hear from your perspective all the different ways that people can sell, because I think it's become quite complex, hasn't it? Yes, there has been changes in recent times. A lot of the off-market sales have been prevalent in, in recent times, and there's also been the introduction of expressions of interest that's uh, been more popular in the market of recent times as well. So can you take us through expressions of interest? What actually does that mean? Well, an expression of interest really originated in commercial properties, and it was a way for commercial real estate agents or commercial owners to be able to receive expressions of interest that may have been on differing terms. It may have been subject to getting permits or subject to longer settlement dates. And an owner was able to garnish all the interest that was out there and make a decision in regards to the terms that came in. But it became popular with residential real estate where it had the advantages of still having a a close date. It was also a mechanism to create competition against other buyers that a private sale didn't enjoy. But the advantage that was used, that it was done in a private forum, so there was no Saturday auction with all the neighbours and everyone coming along to see how the property may or may not have performed. Mm. So I suppose on that note, the downside, if one was trying to find one of an expressions of interest, is if, if you and I are bidding for the same property, I don't know what you're putting forward and you don't know what I'm putting forward. Is that correct? That's right. It lacks transparency and buyers don't tend to love the expressions of interest campaign because when it gets to the nitty gritty, there's different ways that agents close it. They may ask for a potential buyer's best and final offer. That means you've got to hold the pen over a piece of paper and decide what's going to be your your, your walk away price. Often it will transpire that the parties get together in a, in a private auction, in a boardroom auction as they're known where they believe that there's more transparency and and to close it that way. But it does start with expressions of interest. Mm. Okay. And so what about a private treaty transaction? Can you take us through what that means? So a private treaty transaction is one where there's either a specific price range that's given to the market or, or actually a dedicated price point. There's no close date. So it's actually sitting out there for private sale at the vendor's asking price. A buyer comes along and pays that price, property's sold. Buyer comes along and makes an offer, then there's negotiations that ensue from there. Mm. So does that appeal to people who want to have a more discreet transaction? Often it does. And often it may be a way where they say, here's my price. I don't want to go through a whole campaign. I have a dedicated asking price. And if someone wants to pay that price, I don't want open for inspections and I don't want all the the neighbours going through. There's my price. Often that's done in a private sale or a an off-market sale, which is not as public as an auction or an expression of interest. So how does a private treaty in an off-market sale differ? A true off-market sale is one where the property is not exposed to the market in any way. So somebody goes along and an agent would go and knock on a vendor's door and say, hey, I've got somebody who wants to buy your house. Vendor says, yes, here's my price. The buyer agrees to pay it. That is a true off-market sale. Where the the lines start to blur is an agent would say, well, we're not going to expose it on the major portals that are available. We're going to do it through our database. A lot of people will call that an off-market sale where they have photographs and floor plans of the property, take it to their known buyers in inverted commas in an off-market manner and see if they can sell it prior to it going into a more public campaign. Okay. 
and that leads us to the good old-fashioned method of auctions. And obviously, Australia is often, and in Melbourne in particular, is known as the auction capital of the world. I think it's a tradition that, you know, Australia's really become quite renowned for our auction process. Can you just take us through that auction setup and how it actually takes place, David? Sure. Well, auctions normally work in a in a 28-day period. I mean, going back, uh, Melbourne is the capital of the world of, of residential auctions, and it used to always be a, a four-Saturday period, and a property would be quoted in a manner that was normally a conservative quoted price in the marketplace. The auction would obviously create competition amongst the buyers, and the the auction itself was the mechanism to bring the competition to the fore and to encourage buyers in a transparent public forum to purchase the property. But it also had a closed date and that was the biggest thing where buyers needed to act uh, and decide if they wanted to make a, a bid for the property. Mm. Now, on that note, how do you take into account as an agent what method the vendor should take to market? How, how do you work that out as an agent? Well, I think that the the auction method works uh, and it's popular where the buyer demand outweighs the market supply. And that is to say you've got more buyers ready to purchase a particular home in a particular suburb than, than you have available. Mm. The downside of an auction is nobody turns up and uh, an, an owner turns around and says, well, what's gone wrong here? And it's either a situation where it's, it's been incorrectly priced in the marketplace or the market is, is simply not there at the time. David, getting into the nitty-gritty of that then, if I want to auction my house, how much time does an agent need before in the lead-up to that if a campaign goes for 28 days and often it can go for a little bit longer sometimes? What about the lead-up to actually putting a house on the market? Yeah, the time to market has decreased a lot in, in, in the years. So I would normally allow about one week from the time that you think your house is photo ready. And that is, you could say, you can wheel the photographers in here tonight, we're good to go. You would expect that in seven days or less, that property should be uh, live on the marketplace. Mm. So it is actually quite instant, isn't it? I suppose, though, that the devil is in the detail there of getting your house photo ready it can take quite some time for some people, can't it? It can indeed, and that's the most important thing because you can't put the cart before the horse and, and put it on the market quietly. And those that want to achieve a, an off-market sale need to ensure that their property is ready for presentation and ready for inspection before you you go about it. Because if an agent has someone who's a really good buyer, but the but the house is not presented as such then it's not going to end well. Mm. So in a traditional auction campaign, my house is photo ready, we've hit go, the advertising's gone. Now what happens? How many open for inspection should I expect a week and what happens during that process? Should should expect two to three open for inspections per week. And in recent times, Alice, we've found that the four-week period can actually be reduced to three weeks. And given COVID, um, there really there aren't any rules anymore in regards to specifically having your auction on a Saturday. There's auctions that are done can be done any day of the week. So you might run three Saturday inspections and then have your auction at six o'clock on a midweek campaign. But you normally could expect two to three inspections per week. Mm, it's definitely changing, isn't it? I wonder if that trend will continue to evolve. Well, I think it will with online auctions, Alice, given that you can, with an online auction, you can buy from your office or the beach or the other side of the world. Mm. David, a question I bet you get asked, probably people stop you in the street to ask, when should one accept an offer before auction? Is there a hard and fast rule? Not really. I think the 
agent needs to be staying really, really close to the buyers um, because it's. I would suggest that you would look at an offer prior to auction when you say that it's unlikely that that offer is going to be bettered at auction or you only have one potential buyer, so the agents has to be really, really dedicated to ensure that the buyers that they think they have if they've drilled down to see, are they in a position to be bidding and are they going to be bidding competitively in the price range that we've suggested? If they're not asking those questions to really do a deep drill on the on the actual buyers, then they may miss a really good offer on the basis that they think they have other interest and, and, and want to take it through. So the first step is to ensure that that one buyer is your only one that you've got in the frame. If you then say, well, if we leave that buyer out for another 10 days waiting for the auction, is it possible that they see something else and gravitate towards another home that comes onto the market and we're left with no one on our auction day? And if that's the case, I would I would recommend to a seller that they do sell before auction. Mm. Another question I'm sure you get asked often is how do you set a reserve price? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I find that most most owners have have two reserve prices. A price they'd love to get, uh, and then a, and then a, the second price is the price they don't want to go below. And the one that you love to get, well, that'll look after itself if you've got competition. So you put that aside. It's the second price that we need to focus on, and that price should be supported by your estate agent's opinion as to what's going on in the marketplace, and and supported by comparable sales. And we need to concentrate on the on the second price. And if we hit that price during our auction and we've got competition, then that's the that's the area of price, the reserve that you should say as a leap of faith, hey, we're going to go onto the market now because we believe with competition by putting it on the market, we're going to bring out other potential buyers and we're going to extract the highest price we can from the buyers that we've got bidding. Mm. Now, what about if your property passes in at auction? How flexible should sellers be in those post negotiations? You know, what sort of mindset should they have at that point, David, if a property has been passed in? It's a really interesting subject, and we often find that the buyer that we're dealing with on the day, if a deal is not done, we often say the magic leaves with us or, or, or leaves with them in that once they go away and they've had time to digest what's happened and they have a situation where they think to themselves, well, I made an offer on that house. It got passed into me. I went inside. We offered more again and still the sellers aren't, aren't in a position to accept our offer. And by the time we get hold of the Monday, we find that often they've gone south on price or they're just not there at all because they're starting to wonder what's gone wrong with the property. As a property seller, it's easy to push them away and say, well, if they want it, they'll come back to it, but often they go on to something else. David, something that people are thinking a lot about at the moment is the virtual or online auction. How have you found the process of auctioning online and the response that you've received from bidders? Uh, I've loved it. I think it's been great. But it's, it's slightly slower, but what we've tried to do is to make it as much the same as a public auction that everyone understands. David, that was really interesting. Thank you for simplifying what is often a very complex process for many people. I really appreciate your insights today and um, thank you again for your time. That's a pleasure, Alice. Glad I could help. Well, that's all for today. Thank you for joining me. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer, let us know. You can send me an email at propertyunpacked at domain.com.au. 
Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. Property Unpacked is hosted by me, Alice Stoltz. This episode was produced by Danielle Giannopoulos. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au. Thank you.